You may be seated. Take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. We want to spend our morning, our time together, examining the topic of prayer once again. The last Sunday of each month, we are focusing on prayer. Matthew chapter 18, and we're going to look at the parable of the persistent widow that Jesus tells. And as you make your way there, I want to start with a little axiom. I think it's a truth that can be understood as as generally true without needing a whole lot of proof given. Um, That which motivates you to pray is a determining factor for what sustains you in prayer. Let me put it another way. That which motivates you to pray determines how persistently you will pray. For example, if guilt is what motivates you to pray, you hear sermons about prayer, you know you should pray, you feel convicted. If, if guilt motivates you to pray, you might pray for a little while, but after the guilt is gone... After you're feeling a little bit better about your life and maybe a little bit prideful, like, oh, I I now have a a more consistent prayer life, maybe that, that begins to slide a little bit. So if it's guilt, whenever the guilt is gone, you'll probably cease praying. Or what about if it's Christian appearance? If Christian appearance is the reason you pray, then when you're alone and there's nobody around to see you, you won't pray. So what motivates you to pray determines what sustains your prayer life. What about circumstances? If your circumstances are what motivate you to pray, if you only pray when things are bad, well, then when things are good, you won't pray. Or maybe it's the reverse. Maybe you only pray to thank God for the good things. But then when things get bad, your tendency is to try to take things into your own hands and fix them yourself. The key to a healthy prayer life is the orientation towards the motivation of prayer. In other words, whatever your prayer life centers on determines and decides the quality, the persistence, the perseverance of your prayer life. And so we've said all of those are obviously not good examples, right? But what is it? What should be at the center? What should motivate your prayer life? The key to a healthy prayer life is an orientation to prayer which revolves around nothing other than the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. When that's at the center, when Jesus is at the center of your prayer life, when the gospel, the good news is at the center of your prayer life, that is what will sustain a prayer life through the rest of your life. So let me put it this way. The key to a robust prayer life is a prayer life that's oriented to promise. It's a life that's oriented to gospel. It's a life that's oriented towards freedom, not a life that's oriented towards threat. You should pray or else. It's not a life that's oriented towards law. You should pray because you feel bad about not praying. 
And it's not about compulsion. You should pray because that's what Christians are expected to do. And that's what we do at church. Or that's what you do before you eat a meal. Or that's what you do before you go to bed. Right? All of those are orientations towards prayer that will not sustain the type of prayer life you may want. So maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, I want that prayer life. I want a prayer life that, that is growing and I'm experiencing awe and intimacy with God. But maybe at the center, the reason why you're not there yet is because what motivates you to pray is not gospel. It's not promise. It's not who God is. It's not uh, freedom. But it's guilt and law and compulsion. This morning, I want to look at one big reason why we ought to pray. Why we ought to pray, and I think it may often go overlooked. When we talk about all the reasons to pray, we could talk about God's character. One facet of God's character that often goes unlooked and overlooked is God's justice. God's righteousness. God's perfection. The idea that God is a just God, that he rules judgely, that he judges justly and rightly ought to be a motivating factor for us to persevere and grow in prayer. And so the main idea this morning is this. Okay, are you ready? Because God is just in his ways and timing, believers should pray persistently. Let me say that again, because God is just in his ways and timing. Believers should pray persistently. You say, how do I know this? Well, because the parable tells us this. In fact, Jesus tells us, and Luke, actually Luke tells us that Jesus tells this parable for this exact reason. Look in verse 1 of chapter 18 in Luke. It says, now he, Jesus, told them a parable why? On the need for them to pray always and not give up. So what Jesus is trying to accomplish in this parable is to convince his listeners and the Holy Spirit to convince us that we ought to pray always and not give up. So we're told the purpose right up front. And number one, I want you to notice three things. He says, pray always. He wants them to pray always. He's not talking about continual prayer. And we've talked about this. But prayer is a habit. Prayer as a norm. A way of life. So pray always. To always be going to God in prayer throughout the day and throughout your life. But then he says that they need to pray always. But then they also not give up. Or your translation might say not lose heart. And let's just stop here for a moment and recognize why would Jesus need to encourage them not to lose heart if it's not possible that we might actually give up on prayer. That we might lose heart in prayer. Now I know you don't want to say that out loud because there's other Christians around the room, but, but maybe you know those places, those areas where you've given up on prayer. Maybe it's been a while since you prayed. You say, I kept asking for this thing and this situation and, and never, nothing ever seemed to happen. And I kind of just gave up on asking. Or maybe you've given up on prayer altogether. Maybe you think prayer is too simple. Prayer is too uh, silly. 
God already has his mind made up. And so why pray? I don't know why, but Jesus says that we ought to pray always and not lose heart. And let's just be quite honest. Oftentimes we do lose heart, don't we? It's not a reflection of God's character. It's not a reflection of, it's not even an accurate reflection of who God is. It says more about us. But I think all of us in this room as Christians can say we have felt that. Well, we have felt tempted or we actually have given up on prayer and lost heart in it. Maybe we've lost heart in the belief that prayer matters as a corporate church body. You know, there's a whole lot of things we could be doing as a church. There's a lot of things we could be doing on a Sunday night. There's a lot of things we could be doing tonight. But if we come together and we pray, I think it's important for us to remind ourselves that, that prayer is a never a wasted enterprise. And so we don't need to lose heart. That's the second thing he wants to teach through the parable. But there's one other thing I want you to note. He says that he teaches them a parable on the need to pray. That it is necessary and the word that Jesus uses there indicates a moral weight, a moral necessity, something that is not optional. It's not negotiable. It cannot be left or set aside. He tells a parable on the need to pray. We use need in a lot of different ways. You know, I need to lose weight. I need to do this. I need to get my license. I need to do like things that can kind of wait, you know, but we know that we probably should do them. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about something that is so weighty that there is a must, that believers must pray. And what Jesus is doing and what Luke is doing is connecting this need in two ways. There's the contextual need in the passage, because if you notice, if you go back and read in Luke chapter 17, in verses 20 through 37, Jesus is talking about the coming of the kingdom. And the Pharisees ask, you know, when is the kingdom going to come? And Jesus says, well, there's going to be uh, all these people saying, go here, look here, but don't be led astray. Right? There's going to be a gap in between Jesus's first coming and Jesus' second coming. And so Jesus is teaching about how the kingdom of God, there's a bit of a delay in what might be expected. So there's going to be a period where prayer is necessary because Jesus will not be here anymore. And is that not where we find ourselves today? Jesus is still at the right hand of the Father, right? He's still in heaven, on the, on the throne at the right hand of the Father. So we find ourselves in that same need to pray. And so there's not just the textual, contextual need, but there's the need in general. The Christian life cannot be lived without prayer. A disciple of Jesus Christ cannot walk in this world in between the first coming and the second coming without prayer. It is a must. Prayer I love the way one author puts it, is simply the key to everything we need to do and be in this life. That's why it's a must. So if we think prayer is optional or we treat it as such, we need to think about perhaps prayer is breathing. 
You don't think about breathing during the day unless you're stressed out, maybe. You know, take a couple of deep breaths. Right? But for the most part, you don't think about breathing during the day. And yet, breathing is necessary to live, is it not? Right? You don't need a biology degree to know that. So here you have breathing, which is essential for your life, and yet you don't think about it very much. It's a must. And so the same should be true of prayer. So Jesus wants to teach this point that we ought to always pray, not lose heart, and the importance of prayer. So then he gives the parable in verses 2 through 5. And this is what the parable says. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people. And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. Now, for a while, he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. So Jesus tells this parable, and there's a couple of things I want you to note in this parable. First of all, he says there's a judge. Now look at the judge. He does not fear God and he does not respect people. In other words, this is not a man who is easily pushed around. He, he will not make a decision that he does not want to make, even if it flies in the face of God and any other people. He cannot be bribed. He cannot be manipulated. He has no fear of God. But then there's a widow. Probably poor having no status, having almost nothing in, sense of, in the sense of social capital that she could leverage. She's not a CEO. She's not a man. She has almost nothing to leverage, and yet she keeps asking. And she, what is she asking for this judge? Give me justice against my adversary. That is a legitimate request, is it not? If you have an adversary, someone who's against you, someone who's mistreating you, someone who has done you wrong, it is not inappropriate to go to the courts and say, give me justice, is it? And yet, because this judge doesn't fear God, the God who is the God of the widow, the God of the orphan, he's not persuaded. So here's a woman who has nothing except for a claim and she says, give me justice against my adversary. And for a while, it says he was unwilling. So there's a period of time where she just, we kind of see like a montage in a movie. She just keeps coming and coming and coming and he's unwilling. But then it says later, he says to himself, now I love this, even though I don't fear God or respect people, it sounds like a man who's very insecure and he's trying to reassure himself, right? Like this, this, this poor widow has, has been pestering him. And he finally says, well, I mean, we all know I don't fear God or, or, or respect anybody, right? Like, let's get that clear, right? He's looking in the mirror. You know that, right? You don't care what anybody says, right? He says, even though I don't fear God or respect people, and that might have actually been true. But notice in verse 5, he says, this widow keeps pestering me. She's persistent. He says, I will give her justice. I will give her what she needs, what she deserves, and what is her rightful claim. Why? To do justice? 
to, to do right in the world, to right some wrong. No, what does he say? <laughs> I just want her to stop coming, right? So that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. And all the parents said, amen. You've been there. Don't, don't, don't be ashamed. You've been there, right? You said no the first time. But after the 50th time, fine. Just so you won't wear me out by your persistent coming, right? That's probably not totally uh, unconnected to when Jesus talks a little bit later about coming as a child in verses 15 through 17. But, so Jesus tells this parable. And the point of the parable is, is fairly obvious, is it not? In fact, Jesus unpacks it for us. We've said that we believers ought to live in persistent prayer, right? That was the second half of the main idea. But why? Well, Jesus tells us in the point of the parable, look at verse 6. Then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Now, just look at that juxtaposition there. The unjust judge what an oxymoron. The judges are supposed to be doers of justice. And yet here is the unjust judge. Jesus says, listen to what he says. Well, what has he said? What's the one thing he has said in that parable? He says, even though I don't fear God or respect people, because she keeps coming, I will give her justice. So she will not wear me out by her persistent coming. The overall picture of this widow is that she's persistent in her asking. She's persistent in her coming. And that's what the Lord says to listen to. But it's not just what the Lord says. Uh, it's not just what the, uh, the judge says. But notice what Jesus says right after that. He says, will not God grant justice? So it's not just that she's going to the unjust judge and she's persistent. She's going to the one who can do justice. She's going to the one who can actually do something about it. And so it's not just that the, the focus is not so much just on her persistence, although that's a part of it, but it's because of who she is going to, right? She did not go to anybody but the one person to whom could make it right. And that's how she got what she needed. And so what Jesus says is, listen, will not God grant justice? So there's two questions here. We've said that we ought to persistently pray because God is just in his ways and timing. Well, this comes out, this, his ways and his timing comes out of two questions. Look at what he says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? What do you think the anticipated answer to that is? Yes, he will. He is just in his ways. He will give justice to those who cry to him day and night. That's the first question. Will he not grant justice? Yes, he will. But then look at the second question. Jesus says, will he delay in helping them? What is the anticipated answer in the way that Jesus asked the question? The anticipated answer is no. In fact, Jesus even expands and he says in verse 8, I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. I think about that line at the beginning of the first Lord of the Rings movie 
It starts out in the Shire and, and Gandalf's coming and Frodo's in the woods and he hears Gandalf coming and he walks up and Gandalf is on a cart and he stops and Frodo says, you're late. And Gandalf slowly turns towards Frodo and he says, a wizard is never late, nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. That is such a beautiful summary of the way God answers our prayers. He's never early. He's never late. He arrives precisely in his own time and when he means to. Do you have something in your house that's meant to be an encouragement? Maybe it's a picture with scripture or it's a painting or something. Or, or maybe you're, you're like me and you have a coffee mug that has an inspirational quote. And do you ever look at it and you kind of get mad? Am I the only one that happens to? <laughs> we, have, we have several of those things in our house. One of them is a sign that says, choose joy. Choose joy, and it's hanging in our house. As you walk in, you can see it, and sometimes I walk by that sign when I'm not very joyful, and I go, I hate that sign. I hate that sign. But I have a coffee mug that has an inspirational quote, and, and as, much as, I, as much as I don't like often when I read it, I, it's usually perfect timing, ironically enough, but the coffee mug says, faith in God includes faith in his timing. And a lot of times I look at that and I go, man, that is so true. I don't like how, much, how true that is, especially right now because I'm stressing out about something that's not happening when I want it to. But Jesus is very clear that when we pray, we pray not just because God is just in what he does. He's just and he's right when he does it. God does not operate according to your calendar. He doesn't go by your watch. He doesn't go by your schedule or your plans. He will answer at the perfect time. Now, I understand for some of the things that you're praying about, that, that's hard to hear because you've been praying and praying and praying. But that's the whole point of the parable. If God has not done anything with it yet, that means it's not the right time to answer the prayer. And there's a comfort in that. That if it hasn't happened yet, that means it's not the perfect time. So believer, you are to pray persistently. Why? Because God will grant justice and he will not delay. He will grant justice swiftly, quickly. Now, how many of you have prayer requests that you hear this and you think, I don't know that the Lord's answering swiftly or quickly. May I remind you, a day with the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. So the question for all of us here this morning is, is not just what orients our prayer life, but who's at the center of our prayer life. Is it what, what we need, what we want, what we're hoping to get, because what you see Jesus is, what Jesus says is what actually should be at the center of your prayer life is not you, but God. And he's a just God. And so the question, if, he, if he's just in all his ways and everything he does and every answer he gives to prayer, and if he's just and perfect in his timing, how is it that that motivates you to pray? 
Well, let me ask you a question in a different way. We've said believers ought to persevere in prayer. So how many of you this morning will commit to persevering in prayer? To being persistent in prayer? How many of you will commit to persevering in prayer like Jesus talks about? How many of you are willing to say to the Lord, I will do this? For all of you that said me, let me let you in on a little secret. You won't. You won't. You haven't. <laughs> if past behavior is any indication of future action, you won't. We won't. And here's why that's a problem. If you respond this morning by making a commitment out of guilt, it won't last. That's law keeping. That's law obedience. That's G- you understand Jesus is giving a law. You ought to pray all the time. That's why he says there's a need, there's a must. We must. And we all know that we don't keep the law. Any command that God gives us because of sin in our hearts, rebellion in our wills, we will not keep it. And that's the problem. If you hear this call to persevere in prayer and it it, it comes across as like, okay, that's all I have to do is try harder. You're misunderstanding what Jesus is doing because to say, I will try harder is to put yourself at the center of prayer again and not God. And so what's the alternative? The alternative is gospel motivated, grace motivated prayer, Jesus centered prayer. And so this is a bigger shift than you might realize. Because the subject is not now, I will try harder. I will persevere in prayer. I will do better. But now the subject of your prayer life has become God. God is just. God is good. God is righteous. God will act swiftly in his perfect timing. Do you see the difference? So the shift is not a focus on what we failed to do. Instead, it's on what God has done for us. A prayer life that is motivated in response to what God has done for us is what the Bible calls us to. You say, where is that in our text? It's in one little word in verse 7. Will not God grant justice to his elect? To his elect. That word seems to come out of nowhere. He's not been talking about the elect. He hasn't been using this terminology throughout this whole discourse. And so where does this come from? The point of Jesus saying that he will give justice to his elect. Is God saying that he will do what is best for his people. God loves his people so much. He loves his elect, his chosen people so much that whatever they ask, albeit however imperfect and inconsistent it is, he loves them so much that he will do justice for them in his perfect just timing. So now, why should you come to pray? Why should you persist in prayer? Because God 
is who he is. Jesus is who he is. So it's necessary that we don't pray and lose heart in prayer. But we give up. We do give up in prayer. We don't persist. And so this call to persevere in prayer, it can become a burden. And it can become actually, it can cause us to not be motivated to pray. What I mean by that is if Jesus says you ought to pray always and not give up. And that's the standard. And if you've ever done that, you've already failed to meet that standard. Then then why even try again? You've sinned. So what hope is there to even persist in prayer? Well, that's why God has to be at the center. What Jesus has done has to be at the center of it. So think of it this way. The motivation to prayer really comes out of realizing where you are in this parable. What are your options? Well, number one, you're the unjust judge. Well, that's not you. You could be God in this passage, but that's not you. So if you're not God and you're not the unjust judge, who are you? Where does a believer see themselves in Luke 18? The motivation for prayer and persistent prayer begins to flourish and bubble in our hearts when we realize we are the widow. That we're helpless. We're powerless. We have no way to get that justice on our own. When we realize we have no status, no merit, no reputation that we ought to get anything. Augustine, a church, early church theologian, once wrote a letter to a woman named Anicia Proba on the topic of prayer. Anicia was struggling with her own prayer life. She had come into contact with Augustine. She knew him, and he writes a letter to her. She had written a letter asking about prayer and, and how to, to make sure she was doing prayer the right way. And Augustine concludes the letter back to her by saying, Now what makes this work of prayer especially suitable to people like you is their bereaved and desolate condition. He says, you have a status that is a perfect representation of the status that we all ought to have when we come to prayer. And what is he talking about? Well, Anicia was a widow. She had lost her husband fairly young, and she had been a widow for a long time. And Augustine said, what makes the work of prayer especially suitable to widows is their bereaved and desolate condition. When we understand how much we lack, then we begin to see how much has been given to us in prayer. As the elect, as Christians, we have rested and received the good news of the gospel. The motivation for prayer starts when we realize how, how powerless, how empty we are, not just in prayer, but to save ourselves. And then we understand that we need Jesus, that we need a Savior. You see, when God says, and when Jesus says that, 
God grants justice and that he is just and he will give them justice. You have to understand there's a big hurdle there to that statement. If God is just and he gives justice, what is it that sinners actually deserve? How would God do justice to sinners? Well, the Bible says what sinners deserve justly. The wages of sin is death, right? Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23. Romans 3.23 says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is what? Eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so for us to say that we're elect and that we get justice And that justice is given to us. What you have to understand is all of that is only possible because of Jesus. Because he went to a cross. He bore the punishment for our sins. He took the wrath that we deserve for our rebellion. And he drank it fully such that there is therefore no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus is buried and he rises again on the third day and he ascends into heaven. And we are assured that if we would trust in him, our sins are forgiven. That when we place our faith in him, we are the elect. And that means now that though we were spiritually empty, spiritually dead, we had nothing good, no merit, no claim to do anything or make God do anything. Now, because of what Jesus has done, we can go and ask and keep asking and we can hound and we can persist And we can pester and God welcomes it every single time and he gives justice in his perfect timing. Now tell me that's not a better reason to pray than I felt bad that I didn't pray yesterday. Gospel motivated prayer is what sustains a prayer life. It makes the prayer of uh, the possibility of prayer a reality and that we receive an answer so the promises that you see in this we might need to re add one little phrase at the end of our main idea what was our main idea you remember believers are because god is just in his ways and timing believers should pray persistently Let me add one little piece of that. Because God is just in his ways and timing, believers should pray persistently because of Christ. That's it. If Jesus is not motivation enough to pray, if Jesus is not at the center, If he is not worthy of persistent prayer, I don't know what is. I don't know who is. So as you think about how this will apply to your life going into the week coming up, what does that look like? Think of prayer as a response to God's grace. Not as a means of keeping God's grace. Think of prayer... As God at the center, responding to God as the center. Think of it as being pulled into prayer, invited into prayer by God, not pushed into prayer by your guilt. Does 
your conviction. But think of prayer as responding in gratitude. Responding to who God is. Instead of responding to who you are. I hope you leave here understanding what I mean by not putting yourself at the center of prayer. And, and for the sake of maybe just sounding like a broken record, if what motivates you to prayer starts with, I should do better, I should do more, I should pray more, if you're putting yourself at the center of prayer. If you want a prayer life that will be sustained, that will persevere, start your prayer life, start your prayer time thinking about God, who He is, what He's done for you, and let that sustain your prayer. As we come to a time of response, this is a chance for you to maybe acknowledge before the Lord that, that you didn't realize it, but you were making yourself the center of prayer. And you need to ask the Lord to forgive you. Or maybe you acknowledge that you have not been persistent in prayer. And I think that's something we could all ask for forgiveness for. But maybe this is a chance for you to simply ask the Lord to help you make Jesus, make God who he is, the center of your prayer life. Whatever the Spirit is leading you to do, this is a time for us to do it. And since this is a prayer Sunday, we're going to give you a little bit of extra time. And I'm going to pray, and you're going to have time to respond. But then I'm going to pray again. We're going to spend a few extra moments praying. And what I want us to do is I, I'm going to pray for us. You pray for yourself. I'm going to pray for you. And then I'm going to ask us all to pray for each other. Okay? So I'm going to pray for us, you're going to pray for you, I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to ask you to pray for us. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the, the wonderful calling of a gospel-sustained, a gospel-centered, a gospel-motivated prayer life that we look at what Jesus has done for us. And we can't help but respond in gratitude. Lord, I pray that you would help us, myself included, to make you the center of prayer. God, that's how the Lord's prayer teaches us. It doesn't begin with us. It begins with our Heavenly Father Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. It starts with you. It's because of you. And so, Lord, whatever areas in our heart where we've become the center of prayer, forgive us. Forgive us for our lack of prayer, our lack of persistence. And God, if it were not for Christ, what we would deserve for that is condemnation. But because of Christ, because we're forgiven, we are welcomed, invited to pray persistently. And you will give us justice in your perfect timing. Thank you, Lord. At this time, you pray where you are, however the Lord leads.